0: This morning, isn't it? I think it's great to be here. Do you know what? I I went down to uh, the prayer meeting this morning. As I opened the door and, and saw some people praying, it really stirred my heart because it made me think how hard it is sometimes living in the world and how wonderful it is when you can go into a place where there are like minded people who love the same God that you love and worship the same God that you do. And, and it just stirred my heart this morning. And I look around uh, today and I just look at you guys. And there used to be a, a really cringy song that we used to sing many years ago. Ooh, it was terrible. It was an awful song. It was the joy that I feel when I get together with God's wonderful people. It was terrible. The song was awful. But, you know, I've got to say, I, I, do, I do feel the sentiment of it. As I'm getting older and I, and I realize what it is and how important it is for fellowship and, and to love one another and to care for one another, I'm getting the sentiment of it. So I don't know who wrote that song. I haven't forgiven him yet, but, it was, uh, but it, it, was a great, it was a great song. So uh, as uh, Paul said, we're going to be looking today at uh, the subject of God's name. I just want to start by giving a couple of uh, illustrations to you. Now many years ago, uh, when Sharon and I were first married, which was a long time ago, we were passing through Glasgow on holiday. And I didn't know the roads very well. In fact, I didn't know the roads at all. First time I'd been through Glasgow. And you know what it's like when you're driving down a road and you get in the wrong lane. Yeah? been in that situation, you know you have to get over and nobody's going to let you over. Uh, and so uh, we were, I was in the wrong lane. I was approaching the traffic lights and I had to push my way into the inside lane, much to the annoyance of the rather large gentleman in the Land Rover. As always in these situations, Murphy's Law, doesn't it? You heard of Murphy's Law? Murphy's Law dictates that the person in the car you carve up is always disproportionately larger than the average motorist. (laughs) Have you noticed that? Now, I'm not a a small guy, but uh, I looked in the mirror and this guy was obviously part of the local rugby team. And he got out of his car. And I'm looking in the mirror thinking, oh, dear. <laughs> now I'm in trouble. 21 years old. Just carved this chap up. And he walked up by the side of the car with a fierce look on his, uh, his face. Uh, you know, nostrils flared. And he banged on the window. And he said, put your window down. And um, obviously he wanted to show me some Glaswegian hospitality. And so I put my window down about half an inch, like that, and at that stage, the traffic lights changed and I was gone, basically. Uh, and I left the guy in the smoke, basically. He never caught me up, and I made sure he never caught me up. <laughs> On another occasion, uh, when the children were young, we, we went to Disney in Florida, a holiday of a lifetime for us. We'd been told how positive and hospitable the Americans are and how you must always go to um, the American Disney rather than the Paris Disney, because the French don't know how to do Disney. Okay, Because you know what the French are like. Oh, It's terrible, this, isn't it? But they're not like the Americans. They don't have the hospitality. Sorry, Brigitte. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have that kind of buzz, do they? Uh, and because you're always trying to push in the queue. Have you ever been to Euro Disney? Yeah. Everybody pushes in the queue. It's the Europeans. It's not just the French, Brigitte. It's Italians, actually. So many Italians here. <laughs> God, dear, that was. A <laughs> so, American, American hospitality. And on the way into Disney, there were a number of toll roads. And in those days, there were hoppers which you threw your coins in, which made the barrier go up on these toll roads. Ever experienced that? I'm not sure if they're there now, but this was many years ago. As we approached the barrier, I got my money out in my hand, all my change. And as I went to throw it in the hopper, as the car was moving, I hit the door or the window with my hand, and I spread the change all across the tarmac outside. And obviously, I had to stop. I had to get out of the car. I had to get on my hands and knees and individually pick up these. Goodness me, American hospitality. (laughs) I experienced a different type of American hospitality that day. I learned words that I'd never heard before. But I know there was beeping of horns. There was people shouting at me. They, people, guys, got out of the door. They were calling me at their doors. They were calling me all sorts of names. How terrible. Now, you may be thinking what relevance these stories have <laughs> got to do with a preach uh, this morning. Well, over the past few weeks, Tim's been leading us in our series on God's character, taken from the Bible reading, which is up here, which is in Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. Now, we've been learning about the many names of God which are described throughout the Bible. These have significant meaning uh, to us, revealing his attributes and character so that we may, in some small way, understand part of who he is. Because we can't possibly understand, with our human limitations, God fully. However, in this amazing account uh, in Exodus, God describes himself in a way uh, that uh, should give us hope uh, and comfort. Now, the reverse is referred to, and Tim has said this uh, many times, it's referred to over and over again in Scripture uh, by other writers because of its significance. Now, if you don't already have one, I would uh, really encourage you to pick a copy up of this book. Does everybody have a copy of this book? Is, are people reading this book? Because it's really important. If you, if you want to uh, pick up on uh, what we've been doing today, I would really recommend that you pick this book. This book was designed specifically uh, for this series that we're doing. It's not a book that we're working through. It's a book that was designed because we were going through it. Okay? So please, please uh, pick up uh, one of these books. I'm going to take us back to Exodus 33 and verse 8, which says this. It says, Moses said to God, show me your glory. Uh, And the Lord said, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. Can you imagine for a second just what that must have been like? Can you imagine what it must have been like because Moses was not allowed to look on the face of God because it was not right that anybody was to look on the face of God. But God allowed Moses to see the back part of him as he passed by and showed his goodness. Have you any idea what that must have felt like? It's quite awesome, isn't it? And I don't think we can really grasp what that is like. In Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, you can read it there. It says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third And the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff necked people. And pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. Amazing scene of God passing by and Moses experiencing this encounter with God. Now, so far, uh, we have looked at the Lord, the Lord, and we've looked at God being merciful and gracious, and this week, we're going to look at God's reference to himself as being slow to anger. Now, the Hebrew word for anger here, as we're using Hebrew words every week, and we're obviously going into the Greek and Hebrew a bit, I thought, well, I'll look this up, uh, the Hebrew word for anger here is a very small word called ap. Sometimes it's AP, sometimes it's APH, which literally translated means nose or in the plural, nostrils. But it's often used figuratively for anger, denoted by, have you seen that picture of the bull? You know, the bull, when his nostrils are flared. And it's often a, a figurative look at what anger's like. When you, when you get angry, your nostrils flare. Um, but when this is put with the Hebrew word arek, which is A-R-E-K, meaning slow, then the context changed to become one, any or all, of the following. So this can mean either slow to anger, it can mean long-suffering, or it can mean patient. And whilst there are other words for anger in the Bible, this is always the words used with ap-arek together, slow to anger long-suffering or patient and I just want to say at this point and I I think you probably feel the same I'm really glad that God's slow to anger aren't you Uh, I I was thinking about this and I think can you imagine what it would be like if God required immediate justice what would that mean to me and you if God required immediate justice every thought every wrong thought God required immediate justice. And then can you imagine all the things that God witnesses on a daily basis that we don't see? We hear about it, maybe a lot of it on the news, but he witnesses it all across the world on a daily basis. He's in individuals' homes. He's in nations. The inhumanity, the injustice, the horrors of war, the starving children, the abuse of power, The arrogance of man, the disobedience and indifference to his existence by people, the moral filth of sin to such a holy God. And time and time again, throughout the Old Testament, God is at the point of destroying his creation. Is it any wonder? Is it any wonder when he sees all of this going on in the world? I want to ask us the question. What if it were down to us? What if it were down to us to make the decisions that God has to make when it comes to his anger? I I would say, I don't think the the Bible would ever advance beyond Genesis chapter 3. And God would be reading it on his own. Because I don't think you and I could have got past chapter 3. We would have already broken before then and said enough's enough. Enough's enough. If we just go back two chapters into Exodus 32, uh, we see that even though the Israelites have seen such great miracles, they've been delivered out of Egypt. They'd, they'd been led by the, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. They were, they were being given provision of food every day on the ground. And then Moses goes away. And for six and a half weeks, Moses is away. And in six and a half weeks, They were back to building idols. They were still so engrossed uh, in the culture that they'd come out of in Egypt uh, that they missed the blessing and brought judgment on themselves. And I asked myself this question while I was preparing this. I thought, actually, what is my Egypt? What is my Egypt and how long does it take me to go back there? And I'd ask you the same question. Where is your Egypt and how long does it take you to go back there. I guess the question for us today is how absorbed are we in our worldly culture to the detriment of our worship of God? I just want to thank you, God, that you are slow to anger this morning. Thank you, God. You know, no one else in the Bible is described as being slow to anger. Did you know that? No one else in the Bible is described as being slow to anger. However, in the book of Proverbs, being slow to anger features very regularly as a virtue in which we could uh, we should uh, really uh, go after, pursue. Listen to some of these verses from Proverbs. Proverbs 14, verse 29 says, "'Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding.'" But he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Proverbs 15, verse 18 says, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Proverbs 16, verse 32 says, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. That's quite big. That's quite strong, isn't it? Proverbs 19, verse 11 says, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it, is, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. It's a glory to be slow to anger and to overlook offense. And we can see from these verses, and we'll no doubt have learned, I guess, from our own experience, how whether you've been, a, I guess, a recipient of anger or whether you have been a contributor to anger because we've been on both sides, haven't we? At times, we have been on both sides. Anger is generally explosive and destructive, isn't it? Think about it. All sorts of research shows that anger disintegrates our health more than anxiety, sorrow, And physical, uh, extreme physical exertion. Let me read you that again. It says, anger disintegrates our health and puts our heart under more pressure and strain than anxiety, sorrow, or extreme physical exertion. Secondly, it disintegrates our community. When we get angry, our words can be like weapons with enormous ability to damage and wound relationships, sometimes irreparably. And it also disintegrates our wisdom. When we get angry, sometimes our mind disappears and the things that we would normally do and think about disappears with it. It distorts our view of the world. Uh, It distorts our view of ourselves and the people around us, making small things really big and making us make rash and stupid decisions, which we often look back on after we've cooled down and regret heavily. I was thinking about some examples here, and I was thinking about rage, what rage does. Rage can take over the natural thinking process, can't it? Anybody had that situation where, oh, it's the rage. And you go and do something really stupid, resulting in violence or murder. Not people here, I hope, incidentally. But think of all the people that are in prison today who were not that sort of person. Because rage... Got the better of them and they did something they would never even dream of doing in a split second, in a moment. They saw a knife on the side and they picked it up because rage got to them and it overtook their wisdom. What about matters of principle? Where tiny, unimportant things become a position for people to become entrenched. I cannot tell you the many times I've sat in front of clients when I used to work for the bank many years ago, explaining to them, why do you want to do this? Because it will only cause people like this man to make so much money. Because there's been a boundary dispute or something really, really tiny. You know, he took an inch of my land. Okay, I get that. The principle is right. They shouldn't take one inch of your land. But it becomes so big that I've seen people empty their bank accounts of thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds on a point of principle. Because our sense leaves our body and goes somewhere else. Because it's a point of principle. What about being angry with God? That's never a good place to be, is it? If you feel angry with God, it's, it's, it's a thing that we need to do something about. Because we are never going to win that battle, are we? Earlier this week when preparing for today, I read this story which illustrates a disintegration of wisdom. Uh, Some of you may identify with this because it may have happened to you, actually. It may have happened to you. A lady, okay, in a brand new Volvo car, uh, had been driving around a crowded car park, had finally found a spot and was just about to back into it when a young guy in a sports car whizzed into the spot before her. Anybody ever experienced that? (laughs) As the driver got out of his car and was walking away, the lady in the Volvo called out after him, I found that spot first. What gives you the right to push in and take it? The young man laughed and said, because I'm young and quick, and carried on walking. (laughs) Could Could you feel the hairs on the back of your neck come up there? All of a sudden, he heard the sound of a car being crashed. He turned around to see the lady in the Volvo repeatedly ramming her car into his. She caught his eye and said, that's because I'm old and rich. (laughs) Yeah, funny story. I suspect this was a moment that might not have felt so, well, might have felt good at the time. I'm sure it must have felt good at the time, but which both parties later regretted. And I think, you know, sometimes we can have the opinion that people shouldn't get angry. But actually, that's not true. God's ideal is not to have no anger. And neither is his ideal to have that blow-up anger where your sense leaves you. But it is to have slow anger. Ephesians 4, verse 26, Paul says, Be angry, but don't sin. We should be angry sometimes. It's important that we should be angry sometimes. Jesus displayed this anger when he uh, threw the money changers out of the temple. In John 2, verse 13, we read this. It says, The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And in the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he took Told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the cause for his anger was his zeal to see the temple used for its proper purpose, which was for prayer and to glorify God. There's a very old preacher, which some of you may have heard about, uh, a guy called John uh, Chrysostom. He was a guy who lived in the 3rd century, not somebody you'd know, obviously, but somebody you might have heard of. He lived in the 3rd century. uh, He was the Bishop of Constantinople, which is obviously modern-day Istanbul. His name literally meant golden-mouthed because during his sermons people would spontaneously applaud because he was so powerful at delivering the word of God. And on one occasion, he made this statement. He said, he that is angry without cause sins. He that is not angry when there is a cause sins. For unreasonable patience is the hotbed of many vices. When we think of God, surely we love to think of God as a God of love, not a God who gets angry. However, if we have a God who never gets angry, we cannot have a God who does not love. Because if you and I never get angry about anything, then we don't love anything. Because if you love and see the thing you love threatened, then you get angry. Indifference is not love. When God looks upon the world, and you can read this in your book, when God looks upon the world, he sees a world stained with sin. Our sin is a horrible offence to God's holy nature, and his justice cries out for punishment. But at the same time, his love is longing to forgive us. His grace is making it possible for him to forgive us, even though we don't deserve it. And his mercy is reaching out to us in compassion for the consequences our sin has caused us. And his long-suffering is delaying the punishment we deserve, giving us the opportunity to repent and turn to him. What an amazing God. Thank you, God, that you are slow, to anger, thank you, because you are giving me time to put my life right. You are giving me time. You are giving the world time to repent and come to you. You are giving people time. In 2 Peter three verse nine, it says, "The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise has some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance. That said, there is a day coming when the mercy of God will give way to the justice of God. If you or I have not repented of our sin and accepted the free gift of God, then we will forfeit the right of forgiveness and be eternally lost. That's a terrible, terrible Sobering statement, isn't it? But if that's you right now, then I would implore you to come and give your life to Christ. Ask for God's forgiveness for your sin. And he will readily, readily, the Bible says, readily receive you into his kingdom. In a minute, we're going to be breaking bread uh, together. And this is the very time... I believe we have to take care because God's word compels us to examine ourselves in case we are coming to his table unworthily. This is a time when we put things right in our hearts before God. God is slow to anger. And, you know, it may be that during uh, our time this morning, Penny gave the invitation earlier about... um, offering to pray for you at the back. So take that, if that's you this morning and you've got a checkered past and God wants to do something for you, then I would ask you, go and ask Penny to pray for you this morning. It may be you've been the recipient of anger, which has wounded you. You may have said some words in anger which you regret and need God's forgiveness for. All of those things are things that you may want to be prayed for about uh, this morning. You may be holding a grudge inside, which is eating you up, like someone once said, holding on to anger or resentment is like eating poison and expecting the other person to die. It does nothing apart from eat you up. It doesn't do anything to the other person. And also you may want to ask For the Holy Spirit to empower you this morning to receive the virtue of being slow to anger. There are a lot of things in the world that are going to make us angry. There are a lot of things in our life on a day-to-day basis that we get angry about. But God desires that our heart is one to be slow to anger, like his character. He is slow to anger. We benefited as a result of being slow to anger. Because he gave us time to come to Christ. When we overlook the offences of people in the world, people that maybe sometimes offend us because of what lifestyle they have, if we overlook an offence, then we can draw them to Christ and bring them to him in repentance. I'm going to pass over to Paul uh, uh, to uh, lead us in breaking of bread, but I just want to leave that with us this morning. How blessed are we today that God is slow to anger. Are we not? As we come before the table, let's just prepare ourselves and prepare our hearts. Amen.